One, one thing that I understood quite early is uh, if you want to get good at uh, game design, I think uh, you have to you have to seek your inspiration elsewhere. If you just stay on um, uh, in role playing games, all you're going to do is make a photocopy of a photocopy of another photocopy. You have to look into board games. You have to look into movies. You have there are plenty of inspiration, and I think you really have to to look elsewhere. Hi, welcome to the Daiku Podcast. I'm Gary Snow. Today, I welcome Alexander Jeanette, better known as Kobayashi, who is the creator of the Black Sword Hack, which is. Uh, recently been updated to the new Ultimate Chaos Edition, which looks amazing, through the Mary Mushman publishing team, who are well known for their OSR uh, Knock Zine, which is uh, also an incredible product. And the new edition is just a beautiful book, and it's building upon a solid foundation that the first edition provided. Kobayashi, welcome. Thank you for having me, Gary. That's nice to be here. Well, uh, you know, the the book i mean right from the get-go you see it and it's just it just draws you in and it's a beautiful product and i'm going to talk more about that but first of all how did you get started in this crazy little hobby oh that's uh yeah so we we have to go back way way back uh, you know in the 80s uh i was 12 i think 11 or 12 one of my friends just got a, a red box you know, for Dungeons yeah, and Dragons, yeah. <laughs> and told me, you know, come, come, let's have a, you know, let's try this game. I didn't knew anything about role-playing games at the time, and it was awful. <laughs> it was <laughs> awful. He read things, my character died 10 minutes after. It was an awful experience, but the idea of the role-playing game, to me, as a kid, was amazing was amazing. I, uh, I immediately thought, I don't know what happened, but I want to do that again and again and again. But uh, what's in interesting, it's after this first session, I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons until I was in my 30s. I played an whole other range of games uh, before I got back to, to Dungeons and Dragons. And then playing, 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 and... Um, what, 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 was, what games were you playing at that time? Like, what were the influences? Uh, RuneQuest, uh, Stormbringer, Oakmoon, Call of Cthulhu, so many Chaosium games, in fact. Um, the first edition of a German game, um, The Dark Eye, which is now in his uh, fifth edition, I think. But the, fir the first edition was translated in French. And it was a very, very simple game, uh, and it was easy to find. You could, you could bought it in every library, in fact, uh, in every bookshop, sorry. And uh, it was very easy to, and it was cheap, which was good when you're a kid. And uh, yeah, mainly, so yeah, Dungeons and Dragons never had much of an influence on me uh, in my, as you say, formative years, to be honest. And being in, in France, was it all English uh, books at that time? Mostly, yeah. Mo mostly, even, even Dungeons and Dragons, the translations, uh, there were like pirate 
translations, but most uh, most games were uh, yeah were in English. We had a few games in French, uh, but I was already a snob, so I preferred to you know uh, to, <laughs> to, to, to grab to grab uh, English games, English and American games, which by the way helped me you know uh, learn English quite easily. <laughs> And so you're you're playing all these games, and then uh, did, did you immediately know that you wanted to like write games and make games? Or was that always part of like were you the forever GM or? Uh, yeah, I I was uh, I was for 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 a time the the forever GM. In fact, until my twenties, uh, then I got to you know university, so there was uh, some uh, some gap years. And then I met other friends who were also into role playing, and most of them were GMs as well. So we had a chance to to try many different games, and uh, after that I began to work. Also, I was working as a staff writer. Uh, I was um, yeah, I was working in a magazine. I was um, uh, a video game reviewer. In fact, for about 10 years, I did that. And at the moment I discovered, at the time, it was a forum uh, that was named uh, The Forge. Mm -hmm. so, and there was a lot of questions about games, about game design. But what was very interesting at the time, they began to say, you know, if you want to publish a game, now you can, because the tools are there. You know, you don't have to sell your house just to publish your game. And it was, um, at the time, it was in 2008, I think. I just published my first game in French. It was on Lulu at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, just, you know, to see. But it wasn't until very later that I became aware that I could make a living out of it. Uh, but yeah, mainly the, the first influence for me to go from GM to game designer, uh, it, it was uh, The Forge. Now, The Forge, that was kind of like also the birthplace of like kind of story games empowered by the apocalypse and like the, the real getting into the philosophy of game design. Do you, thinking back upon that time when you were in The Forge, like did, did you take any lessons from that era that obviously you did, but any stand out that kind of go like that was a real foundation for me. Yeah, what what I found interesting uh, at the beginning because you know I most most theories, uh, at least some of the theories were proven to to be most of the time were proven to be wrong. You know, uh, gameist, narrativist, simulationist. It's I'm sorry, but it was kind of a it, it was bullshit. Uh, players and GMs don't fit that those little boxes. But was what was very interesting at the times, we all had a lot of questions about how do you design a game, and uh, everyone was answering by writing a game. So you you know what 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 it means to uh, you know can, can we have a, a game without uh, without a GM? So, no, so you know you have a uh, yeah, Ben Lemon's Polaris and all these experiments really were um, at the time for me were mind blowing. I was oh, okay, so we can 
we can go in very different directions um, and ask how to say very specific questions about what do we try to do when we play a role-playing game do we want to play characters do do we want to tell a story uh, and none of these are bad answers but you have to know as a game designer what you want to do with your game what you want to express and i think it's it helped me a lot at the time. It's a lot like a science experiment where you can you control for all the other aspects and you go, I'm just going to concentrate on this little element of a character. And yeah, everything yeah, yeah. else stays the same. And then the next experiment is I'm only going to do this for skills or whatever the case might be. I think it was uh, Robin Lowe's uh, at one time. He, he said something that uh, stuck with me, uh, you know, when they released uh, the gumshoe system. Yeah. Uh, at the time with Trail of Cthulhu. At the time, many people said, you know, yeah, but it's kind of bullshit because, you know, my GM always knows when we play Call of Cthulhu that he, he has to give us the clues. And But Robin Lowe said, yes, I could have made just a blog post, you know, and say you have to give clues to your players. But Truly, for the idea to make its way into gaming to everyone, you had to build a game around it, to sell it to people, in fact. Not to sell, to, to, to get money, but to sell the idea to the people. To the people. And yeah, it, um, I find it interesting because my first reaction was, well, yeah, I don't know, I don't need a system to do that. But at least it put the question, okay, so you have a mystery game. How do you run it, really? with concrete advice. And I thought that was pretty interesting at the well, time. Well, it's ironic. I've actually been doing a deep dive into the uh, gumshoe uh, oh. and mysteries lately. So like you bringing oh. that up is kind of interesting. And oh. yeah, I go back and forth because you they need the clues and you don't want them to hit the brick wall of not finding the clues. But at the same time, you want the, uh, the this simulation that they aren't finding the clues. and and it's a mental gymnastics uh, process. And, and as soon as you put it in the rules, it almost takes away from the discovery and the, the enlightenment of finding the clues. So it's a tough balance. I, and yeah, yeah. And it depends. It depends on your players, too, because, you know, some players, they want to play Sherlock Holmes, but they don't have necessarily the talents to do that. So you have to find a way to mitigate that and it's uh yeah it's not it, it, it's not easy it's not easy to do and when the forge was shut down and did you transition to google plus like almost everybody else at that point <laughs> yeah yeah of course but there was um uh, during that time uh, at the forge you know i played a lot of games at the time uh great games you know shadow of yesterday by clinton uh, nixon uh Polaris, Dogs in the Vineyard, Sorcerer. And uh, at the time, I was playing with uh, other guys who were very into, you know, game theory too. And uh, at one time, um, a friend of mine told me, you know, I have, I have a group of friends and uh, they are looking for a GM and I think you, you would make a good fit. And I met, you know, people who didn't, didn't give a damn about game theory or anything like that. They just wanted, you know, to go around the table and have fun. 
And uh, I think at the time I ran them through, it was um, uh, 50 Fathoms. It was a campaign, uh, a campaign for Savage Worlds. Mm -hmm. yep. And it kind of grounded me back, you know, uh, to the point, yeah, theory is good, but don't forget that people, when they come around the table, they're not here to talk about theory. It's for you. People, they come to have fun. That's it. Yeah, that is a good lesson because you can get uh, caught up in <laughs> yeah, yeah, really because... abstract thoughts and not forget the, the table. Yeah, and especially when all you do, you know, is talk with other game designers. It kind of, you know, you, you kind of go somewhere else and you kind of sometimes forget uh, what people are here for. And then also what helps, what helped the with the Forge, you also notice that not everyone comes at the table waiting for the same thing. And you cannot satisfy everyone. It's not possible. So you have, as a game designer, have to be as clear as possible as what your game is going to do and what is it aimed for. I think, but uh, it's a difficult, it's a difficult balance to, 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 to maintain. Why, I guess maybe this is a good time to jump in and go, why do you particularly enjoy the game design process? Because like, you know, just like a lot of us that like talk about game theory, like what kind of itch does that scratch for you? I think it's, um, uh, let's make a, an analogy, you know, with, I think I think role playing games are uh, a form of art. It's an art form, and uh, like any art, you want to become better by practicing. And uh, the tools uh, you practice when designing games, it's it's game design. So you try to get better at it, but at the same time, which is uh, something that is very interesting, as with any form of art. You try as much as you can to become better at your work, but in the end, uh, the spectator, the players, the GM, they'll just go, you know, yeah, I like it. No, I don't like it. Bye. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, so game design, it's uh, at the same time, it's something that is very important. And at the same time, not as much. <laughs> did, did your video game experience also help inform like some design that like, because sometimes it's good to get information from like outside of our little bubble of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, one thing that I understood quite early is uh, if you want to get good at uh, game design, I think uh, you have to you have to seek your inspiration elsewhere. If you just stay on um, uh, in role-playing games, all you're going to do is make a photocopy of a photocopy of another photocopy. You have to look into board games. You have to look into movies. You have there are plenty of inspiration, and I think you really have to to look elsewhere. Just to give you a small example, I was uh, now I'm, I'm working on, on a small game that. Uh, uh, a medieval fantasy or uh, Eric fantasy, but Japanese. And I wanted, uh, I wanted to find the mechanic to um, to run uh, duels, duels between two samurais. 
and Eric has, uh, was kind of stuck because you know how you throw the dice, the dice. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't very satisfying. And then I played with some friends um, an old board game that got, uh, that was called Dungeon Quest. So I don't know if you know this one. And uh, when you run uh, fights in Dungeon Quest, you use cards. So I thought, ah, but I just could, you know, kind of take a rock, paper, scissor mechanic to do the jewels, add a few things on top of it, but to do something uh, that was where you get the same feeling as in a duel, the suspense, you pick your card, you hide it, you show it. And it worked, but if I just uh, limited myself to role-playing game, I would never find this type of mechanic. It, it would have been uh, very difficult. So yeah, you really have to, to go elsewhere to, to, to find ideas, definitely. And, and then uh, the OSR started to kind of ramp up in the Google Plus days. And was that like a a new era for you as far as like from the forge to the uh, google plus and osr yeah 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 and what uh, uh as i said to you before you know dungeons and dragons never was a big thing for me so when i discovered the osr you know all the kinds we want to play like we played before uh, which is already not not, not quite true because I, I knew people who played Dungeons and Dragons at the time. It wasn't, um, uh, you know, Mike Finch um, rules about, uh, yeah. about, oh yeah, principles. Yeah. Uh, some of them, yeah. Uh, when I was younger, I knew many people who played uh, AD and D. Uh, like it was, uh, there were all rules lawyers, really, and it was it wasn't fun. Uh, there wasn't an emerging story or whatever. It was just about you know, yeah. <laughs> it, it it wasn't very interesting. But the OSR, what I like, it was uh, to maybe not uh, not so much get caught in game design, but get back to the bare bones of what a role-playing game is. So yes, you have a few rules, a, a skeleton, so to say, so to speak, where uh, and the players and the GM, they, they contribute the rest. And it's very interesting because um, one thing that you cannot forget when you, when you are a game designer, you, you write a book. It's a book, but the role-playing game, it's the players and the GM. It, it, it's not me. It's what they do that, yeah. that, that makes the game. So, yes, I find it very... And what I like the most about OSR, it was... Uh, yes, there was so much, and there is still so much creativity. You know, uh, people like uh, Luca Reyes, you know, mm -hmm. Ultra Grasslands, uh, Troika. Uh, they explore other things, uh, Electric Bastion Land, uh, Into the Odd. Uh, I found it very, very interesting because, you know, okay, yeah, game design rules, okay, but what kind of worlds can we explore uh, as well? And 
it's something uh, that was missing from my previous experience in game design. You know, yeah. okay, let's go crazy with the world and keep rules to a minimum. Yeah, I uh, I've mentioned on the podcast before, like for me, like I started with the red box similar to you. And uh, but that time that I played when I was 11, 12, 13 years old, we didn't understand the rules. And the, the feeling that you got while playing, I think my whole life has been trying to get back to that 11, 12, 13 year old version of the game, because that it's almost the OSR style where it's the rules are almost inconsequential, but they're not. <laughs> they're important but keep them keeping them so light that you could actually play the game and, and make an experience and a style of play that uh, the osr does so well yeah because i think you know when um uh, when people you know sometimes feel that rules are missing and sometimes i feel it's it's a good thing because it's a space that as a player as a gem is yours to make it's not someone who tells you, okay, this has to play this way, not any other way. Um, we, we can talk, you know, about um, something that is fascinating for me is uh, powered by the Apocalypse game. Uh, I have a strange relationship because there are some of them I like and some I disliked, but I didn't understand why at first. And uh, I, I ended up uh, understanding that when I knew a genre or a setting very well, the board by the Apocalypse rules were in the way. It was like, you know, backseat driving. You have a, the, the system is like a gym behind you who tells you, yes, you should run the game like that. And I say, okay, I know. Shut up. No, but I, I know. But at the, at the same time, it was a game that uh, I liked a lot. It was uh, Bedlam Hall. Oh, I've never no. heard of that one. Oh, it, it very, basically, it it's, uh, you play, you, you play uh, players are uh, uh, domestics, servants of a rich family who dabbles into uh, sorcery, basically. And you, try, you cannot try to save them. Uh, fr from uh, invoking tool basically, and uh, what was nice is it's set in the 19th century, early 20s, and it was a very strict, you know, um, hierarchy between you know the families, the servants. It's mm -hmm. something I didn't knew too well. My players didn't knew too well, and here the rules helped us get in our roles. We were already, we were playing as intended, so to say. And it was nice because this time the system was helping me because I didn't knew that setting very well. Yeah. So, so once again, um, I don't understand, you know, when people say, oh, okay, this system is awful or I don't like it. It's some, most of the time it's much more complicated than that. Much more complicated than that. And when did you decide to uh, like write your first game? I know I, I popped it on the screen a little bit earlier. Um, you've got a couple games. Like, which one was the first one that you started on, or is it not not even on here? Maybe I missed that. Uh, uh, the, 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 these games were the first that I uh, wrote in English because I first I wrote many games in French 
but these were the first one uh, that I wrote in English. I think the first one was Rats in the Walls, but it was around uh, the same uh, uh, the same year. And at the time, I was very, very influenced by uh, the OSR, but I was um, one of my uh, uh, one of my first love was, you know, the fighting fantasy game books, the choose your own adventure books. Because when you were young, you don't have people to play with. It it was, you know, the only way you could uh, uh, you, you could play with yourself, so to say. And uh, I wanted just to make a, a, a little game to play Lovecraftian adventures, cosmic horror adventure. But I, I didn't want to have explicitly uh, Lovecraft mythos in it. So, you know, just to get a, a, a bit free from it. And I wanted to run, have something like the OSR, something quick to run. I could pull the book and uh, and, play, and play, you know, two hours later. You, uh, it's something you spoke with many of your uh, over interview, in, in many interviews. It's most of the time I write games that I want to play with my friends. That's, you know, I, I look at what's available. I think nothing that fits what I need. So I say, well, okay, so I'll have to write it, you know. And at the same time, Into the Dark, uh, I really, really liked uh, Eclipse Phase. Yeah. And uh, before, before that, we had uh, GURPS uh, Transhuman Space which were very, very fascinating um, settings. But for me and for my group, the rules were too... The setting already was something, you know, a bit intimidating. And if on top of that, you have rules who are also intimidating, it, was a, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a good fit for us. So I tried to write a game that at least what was easy to master and to play, which would allow us to tackle um, to tackle complex settings, rules light, complex settings. So that's yeah. what I tried to do at the time. And uh, the group that you play with are they uh, that same group that you played with all these years, or uh, as it comes and goes, or? Oh, oh yeah, now uh, the group I play with, uh, we've been playing together weekly for almost 20 years now, I think. So wow. they knew me when I, when I had uh, hair, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, we, we go back, uh, we go back a long time. And... Uh... So that was your first English versions of the games uh, or, or game design. And when when did you kind of at that point go, I think I am on to something uh, as far as my style, like you found your voice and your game design. When did that kind of feel like you knew what you were doing from a design perspective? Uh, I, I, I think I'm still searching. In fact, <laughs> I'm still I'm still searching because um, you know I I went as you know now through a kind of OSR phase. Uh, I had a story game phase before that, um, so I I don't really know where where 
I already know where I'll be going from it, from there. But uh, yes, I'm still I'm still trying. You know, to so many people say, you know, you do something for ten years, and after you've done ten years, now you kind of start to understand what you're doing. And basically, I'm at, at this point now. <laughs> I'm just ah okay okay now I see what maybe I can do, what I can write about, what kind of games I want to do. But mostly uh, these were formative years and formative, ga formative games for me, to be fair. And when did um, Fleo come to be? That was, it's how many years old is it now? Uh, what say three years? Mm -hmm. I think it was uh, it was it it was uh, just at the beginning of the COVID crisis. I think Some, something like that. At the time, I just, uh, as always, I wanted to run uh, a campaign for my players. I want to run uh, the enemy within the whole Warhammer campaign from uh, for my friends. And as always, one of my players didn't like the Warhammer, the Warhammer rules at all. Dislike them. So, like, oh, maybe I should try. You know, maybe to take some notes and. Uh, and as it was the the beginning of the COVID crisis, I just made a small pamphlet. It was, you know, I don't know, 20 pages long. And at the same time, I met uh, the art director, Edgar, who said, hey, if you want, I can, uh, you know, do the layout for your thing. I said, okay. And uh, we released the first version, yes, 20 pages long for free for people, you know, okay, times are hard for everyone. so. Here is a little present, so you can uh, 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 still uh, have some fun. And we had very good uh, feedback from people. And Angara said to me, "You know why? Why? Let's let's make a full game out uh, out of this." And I said, "Well, yeah, why not? After all, let's try that." And it's kind of I never planned to write the game, but uh, yeah, it's in. Uh, Three months, I, I think it was done. It was done. And well, it was my first dig into, uh, because I liked at the time uh, the Black Hack, second edition, mm -hmm. uh, written by David Black. Uh, and I was, uh, and I just read a game like the Mecha Hack by, it was Absolute Tabletop. Uh, very good game, check it. Check the black hack, of course. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to do something with with that system. So it was my first kind of foray into into the black hack was with Flail. And then I guess that's as good a time as any to just talk about the, the black sword hack. And I know this kind of burst onto the scene uh, scene. And I guess maybe let's talk about the black hack in principle uh, to begin with because the this is based upon the black hack by david black hence the mm -hmm. name uh and i know it's been a formative kind of system for like a lot of people we were talking before we started about the cthulhu hack which i'm a big fan of um myself and it's just like such a like simple system for people to wrap their heads around uh, yeah. what what made you go okay i'm gonna strap on uh, and build off of this uh, well, at the time, very simply, you know, when I did Fleo, it was uh, my goal was to have to run a Warhammer campaign. 
simply. And with uh, and it reminded me of old games I played when I was young, and uh, there was Stormbringer by Chaosian, and Oakmoon, things like that. And one of my players hates the D100 with a passion. If I bring D100 at the table, I, I think he, 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 he will kill me. So I, uh, I remembered about uh, another game from Chaosium at the time. It was uh, Pendragon. And he chose a, a D20. <laughs> and at the time, I was, oh, Pendragon, the black act. <laughs> In my head, you know, it, it kind of clicked. And I think, yeah, that would be the perfect system to run this kind of adventures. And... Uh, well, uh, and at first, I think before, um, well, I don't even remember, I wrote uh, the first edition of the Black Sword Hack. And before that, I wrote uh, Extinction, which was basically an alien, uh, alien type of game, uh, sci-fi game using uh, the Black Hack, you know, just to, 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 to learn to, to do that. And uh, the first edition of the Black Sword Hack was... Uh, how can you say, kind of a, a silent hit because it's a platinum seller on drive-thru RPG, but there were basically no reviews, uh, no actual plays, basically nothing, but it worked. People liked it, you know, because mm, it, it's not easy to, to, to have your game be noticed, especially on drive-thru RPG. That's why Kickstarters for independent creators is very important for us. But, uh, yes, so, yeah, it was, for me, when I was thinking about that, the themes that I wanted to have in the Black Sword hack, uh, the, bla the Black hack was kind of, a, became a, a natural choice for me at the time. And uh, as far as, like, some of the details of the Black Hawk, Black Hack D20 roll under player facing roles. It's uh, classless. One of the things that you added, though, uh, I think is the Doom Die mechanic, which is um, uh, like a declining resource die. And uh, so, did you t pick and choose and find inspiration in other games? Yeah, yeah. The Doom Die mechanic comes from the reactor die. In the mecha hack, basically oh, okay. in the mecha hack, when you uh, when you use special abilities of your uh, big uh, of your big robot, you have to roll the reactor die to to power it, and it was a it was the same. It was a, a usage die, so I I really thought that the idea was brilliant because yeah, the idea to use you know um, usage die for you know rations uh, torches. Uh, arrows. To be honest, I find it a bit boring. I find it a bit boring. What was made in the um, in the mecha hack with the reactor die? It was. It became a push your luck mechanic mm -hmm. because really it was uh, it, it was for the players. It only can come from the players. It, it cannot be imposed by the GM. The player has to choose, okay, so do I use my Doom Die or not? And it created very, very intense moment 
at uh, at the table and it worked quite brilliantly. Uh, I, I can say so because it's not my idea to begin with. So credit goes to the the writers uh, uh, of the Mecha Hack. And yes, uh, in the Black Sword Act Two, I was um, like I said, I'm not too big into into Dungeons and Dragons. So I didn't feel the need to keep classes, you know. Yeah. It, it didn't fit. It didn't fit the fiction. Uh, you know, Conan is not just a barbarian. It's not that. He's many more things. And uh, Elric is not just that. Kane in the Carl Edward uh, Wagner books is not just a sorcerer. Is not just a warrior. It's more rich than that, and classes didn't feel didn't feel good uh, for for the theme. So yes, I kind of you know picked and grabbed everywhere I could and uh, and tried to make to make the rules fit the genre as much as I could, and not the other way around. And I I had the the new um, Chaos Edition cover up there, um, but. There was the original one, which actually was I thought it looked great, and like there's so no slight against the layout or anything like that. But uh, how did the second edition or the Chaos Edition, Ultimate Chaos Edition, come to be? Like, what was the process in uh, taking your original game, and then when when did you decide to make a new edition? Oh, uh, in fact, I, uh, I I didn't decide because most of the time when I write a game, that's it. You know, I go I go to 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 the next game. But um, at the time, I had wrote some uh, articles for Knock. So mm -hmm. I I, uh, I was in contact with uh, the Mary Mushman at the time. And at one point, they sent me a mail, you know, where we, we've been discussing and we really liked what you did with the Black Sword hack. Would you like to do a new edition? And I was, I think, uh, I had a very intelligent answer like, uh... <laughs> uh, uh, okay, yeah. Oh, why not? <laughs> I didn't knew at the time, you know. I felt maybe like a good idea, you know. Yeah. And uh, and things went pretty fast after that because uh, which which was good because they they give me a lot of feedback on the first edition, which really helped me, you know, um, have a tighter a tighter game. Which uh, a better adventures too as well. So and as you uh, as you know, I'm a kind of uh, I'm a one man operation. So my books look, shall we say, Spartan? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not. Yeah, it's no. You you you. Well, then. They're not pretty books. And I knew that uh, the Mary Mushman were able to do incredible things with the layout. And Olivier, uh, the Mary Mushman are basically Olivier Revenu and Eric Nudon. And uh, Olivier was is a very, very good at layout. And he found uh, Goran Gligovich, which, you know, when he showed me the first illustrations, I was, ah, okay, that's yes that that's look nice and i i should note uh i'll put a, a link up above uh eric has been a guest on the show and we talked about yep. knock and uh mm. yeah the 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 work that they've been doing for knock has been incredible 
um, yeah. and a, yeah. a lot of their stuff. I think they've really hit their stride. And uh, your book is just like one other like brick in that amazing foundation that they're building there at the Mary Mushman. So like, mm. just love their work. But and the art by uh, Goran, I mean, yeah. it just like jumps off the page at you. Yeah, because I know that may, especially at, at one moment in the in the OSR, there was kind of a movement and very still is, you know, yes, but, you know, RPGs, art uh, is not that important because you don't see the art when you play, blah, 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 blah. I don't agree with that at all because you have to build how to say, you have to build a setting, an atmosphere in your head to play, you know. Basically, role-playing is a shared imagination around the table. And I don't think there is something more efficient and quick to build something in your head than, than good illustrations, you know. Uh, when you see the work that uh, Luca, Luca Reyes does, it's, it's amazing. You know, you, you read the book and it's it's in your mind. Yeah, Before sure. even you start, you know, to read. After that, the text helps you go beyond that. But you already in his world. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, it just draws you in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you cannot you cannot do that just with text. You know, I, I only know how to write, barely, but. Uh, <laughs> Because as you can hear, uh, English is not my first language. Uh, but uh, yeah, good illustrations are, are kind of important. Yeah. Well, I, I think you do an incredible job writing in English. I am not bilingual at all, so I can't even imagine how difficult it would be to write in a different language. But fantastic job. But um, what, what was that conversation like as far as what did they convey to you is like, hey, we want to try this or do this. Like you went from a page count of 75 to 110. Um, and what other kind of like uh, direction or like work did you guys do together to kind of come up with the, the newest edition? Oh, they just they pointed out to me uh, simply like um, from the point of view of people who played the game. And they told me, you know, we miss we miss some examples, we miss adventures, uh, we miss uh, some. You know, uh, Eric had uh, the fairy ties chapter in the book. Uh, we miss th those kind of things. Could you add them? So I was happy to oblige, and they really helped me. Yeah, um, they told me what they thought was missing from the game that could make the game even, you know, uh, yes, I would say better, a better game and a better experience for the GM and for the players. So, and yeah, the like the thing I, I did with Fleo, you know, is um, regional adventure seeds. They, they really liked it. And could you do that for, you know? And I said, yeah, of course. If I knew... <laughs> The work <laughs> that was needed for that, I wouldn't have said yes because finding 96 adventure seeds, you know, it's just it's maybe what four pages in the book. It's nothing. Yeah. I, I I would have blown my my brains out. <laughs> you know, sometimes random tables on one page can 
be so much thought and uh, decision making that goes into it because like you have to convey everything in your world or your game. Yeah, yeah, table. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, describing uh, describing uh, the, a city like Emdalir or even writing an adventure, you know, it, it kind of flows. It kind of flows when you have a, a good idea. It kind of flows. But yeah, random tables. Huh, it's. I'm just uh, yeah yeah. I I pulled all all my hair out uh, trying to to you you know to feel this. It's uh, but as you say, it's important because you can put so much flavor, uh, so much of the setting in just a few random tables. And uh, but yeah yeah no and hair. And I like your lines here, like a bit of background, quickly conveying the flavor of the character and uh, their origin. It just kind of like uh, throws you into the world right away. It gives you a, an immediate spark for your character to work with. Thanks for that. <laughs> I try, yeah, I try to do it because um, uh, as I wasn't, I wasn't going to use classes uh, because classes. Uh, are a very efficient way uh, to tell a player what, what is going to, to play. In fact, if you push the idea of classes uh, far enough, you get uh, the playbooks in uh, Poured by the Apocalypse game. Because I, I give you a playbook, you, you know exactly what you are going uh, to play. So I kind of try to mix the two approaches uh, so immediately just by your origin you always you already have a picture of your character in your mind i try to do this it's not for me to say if i succeeded but it's, it's what i tried to do well i liked it and uh i know as we kind of flip through here we don't have to like um settle on anything i just want to i wanted people at home to kind of get a, a flavor uh, sense of the game itself and the, the layout and the different categories of the game. I know uh, I'm just going to pull it up here because I don't want to get it wrong. Uh, the GM advice at the back too. I really liked this one in particular of um, you said, uh, what is it? What is interesting? You uh, sorry. Uh, I'm missing it here as a player. Uh, your goal isn't to have your character survive. It is to find a meaningful death for them. And I just kind of went, yeah, that's, like summarizes <laughs> so much in just those two simple lines of uh, how to play. I think, uh, like especially in an OSR kind of environment, is to find that kind of meaningful death. And yeah, because, to play your character. Because especially, uh, you know, yeah, in most OSR games, um, there when you play low levels, especially, it's they're all almost over games really and so when uh, it's the same as when you watch a horror movie it doesn't matter who survives what matters is how your character lives his life and if he dies well you you can you, you can create another character it's not a, it's not a problem um uh, it's what i i liked in the osr games at first it's um how to say you don't uh, you don't have to get too attached to your to your character, but I don't I don't like it when it goes too far on that hand too. Where you know when you if you create 
five characters in a row, they're kind of becoming unimportant. You know, okay, now it's fighter number five, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, not not very interesting. But uh, yeah, I think it was good to have a kind of. Um, it doesn't matter if the character dies at one moment because it's part of um, part of, of of the world, and it's also. It draws us back to game design. It's uh, if you want to emulate a genre, you can go. Okay, so I want uh, the characters to feel like they are Conan or Eric. But a player will say yes, but Conan he doesn't die in the novels, and Eric doesn't die. So why should I die? And um, that's where I find that role playing it's what OSR reminded me. Um, it's the role playing games, they create very uh, peculiar kind of stories. And uh, uh, to me, for me, uh, it's just a choice on my part, but I think role playing games are at their best. Uh, when they don't try to ape another medium. I don't want my uh, role-playing game session feel, feel like a movie. I don't want it to feel uh, like I'm watching a, a Netflix uh, you, you know, series. I don't want it to feel it like a book. I want to feel it like a role-playing game, like a session which will, uh, that's why, you know, if you, if you take most, uh, you know, adventures you have at your table and you try to turn them into books or movies, usually it's not, it's not going, going to be that good. Usually you have not very good stories with uh, your friends who are most of all probably very bad actors. And it, <laughs> and it doesn't matter because we, we, we're here to do something that, which is a very specific role-playing games produce specific kind of narratives. And uh, that's something that I think is really, really interesting. And I don't find them that interesting when they try to reproduce another medium. Yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, Alan Moore, the... Uh, the writer, uh, yeah. comics, comic book yeah. writer, who said, you know, uh, why he didn't like uh, see to, to see his comics adapted to the movies, because he said, you, you know, um, you know, comics are not just are not just anime uh, images that you can animate. It is a very specific medium who can tell stories in a very specific way, and it's not movies and it's not a book. It's something very specific. And I feel that way about role-playing games, that they produce something that is very specific that no other medium can reproduce. And you can find it in other mediums, you know, when uh, talking about video games, for example. Uh, a very a very successful series, the Metal Gear games mm -hmm. by Hideo Kojima. If you made them into movies, they would be pretty ridiculous movies you know they would yeah. be pretty stupid movies but as games 
very, very fun. But if you turn it into a book or into a movie, it's going to be a disaster. It wouldn't work anyway. And for me, role-playing games are, are like that, to be honest. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like it, to me, it's an art form. Not only designing it, but also playing it. It's a uh, it's a special thing. Obviously, I love the hobby myself. Where where do you um, see role playing games and its evolution? Like you've been in the in the world for like a long time. Are we just scratching the surface of what role playing games could be, or or do you think we've kind of hit like a nice peak? No, 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 I think we only now uh, are beginning to, to scratch what what we can do. You know, it's like, uh, you know, if we were what, yeah, we're playing games where, what, 50 years, roughly. Um, imagine that after, you know, 50 years after the invention of cinema, we would have said, okay, we're at the peak now. Nothing else to see. Okay. Okay. We can go much farther than that. <laughs> you know, it would be it would it would be completely stupid. I think we really just now are at the beginning of things because, of course, not to go po political or anyway, but there are changes in in society as well that we will see into games. You know, a game like Haunted West, very good game, Rabbit, uh, by Chris Pivey, is something that you cannot have seen twenty years ago. It wasn't mm -hmm. possible. And and it's it's a really really good game, very interesting, and it's fun to play. It's a fun game, you know. Yeah. And uh, there are many things that we still have to explore uh, because we, at some time, you know, especially uh, we were talking about the forge. I think, uh, you know, talking about systems, you know, yeah, so yes, it's karma in the middle, it's a fortune system, it's uh, uh, what kind of dice you use, who has uh, who has a power as a, uh, as a referee, all those kind of things. It's interesting, but we have to go f farther than that. Right now, the most successful games on the planet is Dungeons and & Dragons. And Dungeons & Dragons is to role-playing games What's McDonald's is to food. I'm sorry about that, yeah. you know, but no, uh, really. it's 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 the sad truth. It's not a bad game, you know. If you play mm -hmm. Dungeons and Dragons, please enjoy. I run two campaigns with fifth edition, you know. I have nothing against people who play, but you have to face the fact that it's fast food. It's fast food, and it's produced by a big corporation who doesn't give a fuck about you. So what we will see in the future, maybe considering the mismanagement at Asbro, maybe we could see the end of the brand, maybe Dungeons and Dragons, which I think would be a good thing for everyone, you know. The, the same thing that happened in cinema, you know, when the big studios at one time uh, disappeared and independent filmmakers we're allowed to produce things, you know, we, we mm -hmm. saw great things. So maybe we could see that in the uh, in the world because there is a, something that I, you know, um, hear a lot and people say, you know, yeah, but if Dungeons and Dragons is successful, it's good for every role-playing games. And that's sadly not true at all. What is good for Dungeons and Dragons is good for Dungeons and Dragons. 
there was a, a YouTuber, a Spanish YouTuber, uh, who told what happened in Spain. In Spain, you, as in France, you have a very dynamic local um, local uh, RPG creators. They, they mm -hmm. create a lot of games. So uh, those times, you know, bookshops were buying, you know, games from Spanish creators. But at one moment, uh, those bookshops saw, okay, what what is selling? Ah, it's Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, so you, your games, you get out because we're going to put Dungeons and Dragons on the shelves. Yeah. So, unfortunately, what is good for Dungeons and Dragons is not good for us. And it's really an idea that has to disappear, especially from indie creators. Because it, it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. You know, it's kind of, you know, uh, you know, a, 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 a tidal wave, uh, you know, raises all boats. No, that's not true. It doesn't, it doesn't work in economy. It doesn't work in role-playing games as well. Sorry to break some dreams here and there. Well, I know uh, my channel, like, and if you've watched any of my interviews, like, there's been, like, zero 5e. I think I one monster book that maybe was 5e compatible but i really appreciate indie designers and i really feel like we're in the golden age of indie game design you know you can produce it yourself you can like put a pdf out you could design a game in one day and have a pdf out and on the market and i don't even want to call it on the market i kind of always use products and on the market but as we've talked about it's an art form and yeah. there's no expectation usually for indie designers to uh, make money i like i do this channel for my enjoyment and uh, mm -hmm. a lot of indie des game designers are the same thing where they just enjoy the process it's an art form and i just i find it so interesting you know people like yourself that are like really finding their voice and experimenting and making unique games and sharing it out in the world and then this is a, a hackable game just like the black hack that mm -hmm. people can potentially uh, build upon so maybe you can just talk about that like what opportunities uh, from the black sword hack that could people work with uh, yeah we because uh, well first thing uh, we wouldn't have a black sword hack if david black didn't put the black hack under vrgl at first he was very generous He's, you know i designed this system yeah you know go go play with it and uh, so it seemed only fair that uh, we do the same with uh, the Black Sword Act. So we, we released it under a Creative Commons license. So if you want, you know, to just, you know, uh, write uh, adventures, uh, your own version of the game, uh, whatever, you can. You, you, you can do it. Feel free. We won't ask a penny out of you. Uh, you don't have to tell us what you do. Um, of course, if uh, well, if you if you do a game about uh, about Nazis, uh, we won't like it. Just so you know, but it it doesn't happen. To be fair, so it's not it's not going to be a problem. But yeah, enjoy. Uh, it's kind of uh, things have to have to remain ideas have to be shared. Uh, that's the only way as. I, I would dare to say, as a civilization, we 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 keep getting better, and I really don't understand people who are. Oh, I made this little system; it's so good. I'm gonna keep it to myself. 
Uh, yes, okay, bye, because I have many, many other options. It's not, it's not that hard to share, you know, uh, the way you choose to roll dice. You know, it's not, it's not rocket science, especially, to be fair, you know. So yes, if you, if you, anyone who wants to write something for for the Black Sword Act or inspired by by the Black Sword Act, or you just love the doom die mechanic you want to use it in your own games go go please please go uh, nothing makes me happier you know than see people who are inspired enough but by what i write uh, to write themselves that's you know there are some um, there are some artists you know you watch or you read what they do and you feel like oh they are so good. They are so good. I I will never be so good. And you kind of you know, you you're happy to have read or seen that, but it's 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 a bit of a downer. And there are other artists who inspire you so much that say, oh okay, I want to try this too. That that looks like fun, you know. And uh, I'd rather be in the second category. I'm, and I'm not talented enough to be in the first one, so you know. <laughs> well, just going here, you know. That, that, well, that's what will happen. You never know. I, I, I feel like this book is very inspiring. I think you've done an incredible job on it, uh, and uh, I'm going to put all the links on where you can uh, buy it and find it and learn more about it. Uh, and uh, same with uh, Goran's art and uh, the Mary Mushman. And so it's really fantastic work that you guys are doing. But what is next for you? Do you have uh, plans for future games? Uh, yes, because unfortunately, I try to write six games at the same time, uh, which which is not a good idea, <laughs> to, 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 to be fair. Uh, yes, so I'm I'm currently finishing a small, you know, samurai-like game uh, with illustrations with someone who works at Pixar. So you know, oh wow, images w w will look good. That's that's nice. Um, uh, I'm working on a game that is called Dark Leningrad, which will take place in a you know kind of sci-fi version of uh, the Soviet Union in the 90s. It's gonna be quite weird, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm also working on a full edition of an old an old game uh, that is called Unlikely Gentleman, which is basically yeah, uh, steam, a steampunk game. Uh, so already I have to finish those three, and uh, I, I, I'll see after that. I'm very bad at giving dates, but you know, and, may, and maybe a new project with uh, with the Mushman. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if that uh, if, uh, if if that will see the, the light of day. But I, I will let them communicate on that uh, when they want. But cool. yes, a lot of work. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, uh, you know, like I said, I just I, lo I love the book. I love the work you're doing. Uh, I like your uh, desi design philosophy and your exploration of game design in itself. So I think uh, you're just doing some really good stuff out there. And I just want to say, just keep it up. Uh, awesome job. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show today and uh, sharing a little bit of your wisdom and experience. Thank you for that. And thank you for putting with my Maurice Chevalier accent. <laughs> 